I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Pilot Episodes. I'm on my own this week, but that's because I've just spent an hour and a half editing the second part of our Farnborough special. So, if you're into geeky avian chat, you've come to exactly the right place. Sit back, listen to me, Godders, and of course, Dunk, interview the great and the good in the world of British aviation. Enjoy. Oh, right, well, we've continued trapping more guests, and we've got Stu Butler here from BAE Systems, formerly of the RAF. Now, how is it you've come to know Godders and Dunk here? Um, well, actually, both of them, to a certain extent. I've been with the company now 10 years, uh, and I really got to know them both properly in that in that ten year period. Uh, Dunk through his time with BBMF, which we obviously have a lot to do with, and uh, God, as I get, we guess we met almost soon after I left the Air Force, didn't we? Yeah, Although exactly. I've, I've seen yeah. you before, but you know we we've had an interface uh, then. With... You were way too senior for me to ever speak to in the Air Force. <laughs> yeah, Stu exactly. left as a, yeah, as a two star. I mean, I'll just let you into a little secret here. We've just seen the, seen the, seen the first Sea Lord, and um, you know. The deference uh, that is shown—it's it's, it's just you know—if the deference of seniority is it's, just—it's just absolutely incredible. It's like Beyonce walked in. <laughs> I, so I get it with probably a little bit more gold, but um, <laughs> less booty. <laughs> you said that, Scotland leader. <laughs> <Madison. laughs> in case the first sea lords listening, <laughs> no, it's a, it, it's an, it's an incredible. But, no, but but there's the thing. Here's one for a future podcast about uh, the hierarchical military structures and what is required in terms of orders and commands in terms of going to war. You, you know, you take a navy. There's always the the um, the phrase: the, if the captain says the ship's going left, the ship's going left. You know, that is massively hierarchical. Whereas you probably in your day-to-day work. It's probably a flat structure at work. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, absolutely right. It's uh, it, 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 was, it was quite strange. It's quite strange to watch, actually. Quite strange to experience it firsthand. It's completely different to anything which I usually see. And, and as I said, uh, you know, for for those listening, I basically had to prize JB away from. Uh, we had to from, rugby tackle him. We had to rugby <laughs> tackle him away from the first. You were very, Lords. very worried. You were very worried. You know, I, I think only because there were a lot of BA Systems people yeah. up there who were keen to make an impression. Um, whereas you just wanted to doorstep him and, and talk about carriers and F-35s and stuff. <laughs> um, and so uh, we've dragged back here to come back to Stu, because what were we doing at the time, Jamie? Well, I'm glad you mentioned that. I've just tried out this, the Striker 2 helmet, which is quite quite an impressive piece of kit. Well, in fact, that, that one is Striker 2++, because uh, bear in mind the... Uh, and I, I keep saying to people, it's a future combat air system. That just happens to be 
the hunk of grey metal out there just happens to be the centre of FCAS. Uh, but there'll be a lot more around that and it's obviously in a very early concept phase so we're looking at um, current conventional cockpits so if you take Typhoon for example you sit in the cockpit there's lots and lots of instruments head-up displays and augmented and helped with the helmets which is currently Striker 1 hopefully moving to Striker 2 ultimately that one's the next step which uh, hopefully will take advantage of things like artificial intelligence machine learning things like that and it's all about if you imagine how much uh, Typhoon the, the amount of data and the amount of comms and the difficulty of operating the airplane is with a single pilot well in the future we hope that there'll be even more coming in in terms of comms and data and things and the pilot frankly won't be able to cope with it all so we're we're trying that's to give depends which pilots do well on. that's true oh, i mean yeah. if it, if no it was me i'd need two helmets <laughs> yeah. uh, but but you know it, it's all about trying to get the very most out of the air platform within a future combat air system jb at the, at the air power on. conference last week the phrase that kept coming back is how do you turn data into information yes Absolutely. That's the thing. So you yep. can have a ton of stuff coming in. How is it fused and shown in a single picture? Which is, I think, what essentially you saw in some of those sort of gaming, virtual reality gestures that you were looking at. Well, here's, here's the thing. Do you think when you see a helmet like Striker, do you think when you use it like, this is how much information I'm, I missed out on? Because you, you basically had traditional flight. I joke about the fact that one of the, one of the last big missions that I flew when I was station commander at... at Lossy Mountain. It was out in the US where we'd taken our typhoons out and we were on an exercise with French Rafales, um, American F-35As and American F-22s. And because of the way that F-35 works, I, it takes in all of that data and turns it into information in the cockpit. But then data links that information out to other aeroplanes. I was there in a typhoon. And I genuinely, it was almost exactly what you just said, in that I had the striker helmet on, I can see all the information that I need in my helmet, it's pointing to enemy aeroplanes, it's pointing to friendly aeroplanes, and all of that information is coming in either by my own sensors, the radar, the radar warning receivers, and all of that sort of stuff in the aeroplane, or mainly off of this, off-board from F-35, so I was flying away from the fight. I wasn't running away. Yeah, probably. As part of that, that sort of, as part of that combat <laughs> air patrol that you fly, but even running away from the flight, even though my radar is facing in the wrong direction, I've now got the full picture on a display of everything that's going on behind me. So I now can target my wingmen in oh. to all of these aeroplanes behind me. Why so were you running away from the fight? It's yeah, all, why it's, were you running away from the fight? Yeah. It's all about it's all about gaining range. Yeah, yeah, if you yeah, get into a yeah. close-in fight in a phone box early, Dunk, you've he lost was it. running away he was from running the fight. Away, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was right from an earlier podcast. We talked about the fearless Air Commodore. He's he very hit, scared. He probably hit a small time. bang. And actually, if you, if you take what God has just said into my, my realm, so I was on a big aeroplane which was hoovering up lots and lots and lots of data. Oh, you yes, know, of course, thir- you were liberal. 13 people. So, I, I mean, I'll just give you one instance. You know, we had a, an acoustic system down the back where guys were monitoring uh, submarine contacts. It was very, very common to find that, you know, because you can only put so much processing power on the aeroplane, yes. it was quite common to take the recording of what we'd done back to home base, 
played on a system which really amplified every little mark on the chart to find actually you missed a submarine contact. Wow. Uh, and, it, you know, again, the good thing is because you generally one aircraft replacing another you can then your situational awareness builds up so it's a you know in some respects it's exactly the same equation just over a longer time now when I talk to these two chaps here um, Goddard and Doug they're first and foremost first and foremost aviators they they learn to fly do you think that what you're doing with BAE systems and the helmets and the management systems is actually changing the profile of pilots and what you, you know, what the qualities are that you're going to require from future combat pilots uh I, yes and no, uh, because I think the the kids of today. I mean, bear in mind that thing uh, out there will first fly around about 2025. Mm. So the people that are going to fly it in operational service are only just being born. Uh, but you know, I, I mean, I think we as a collective we're slightly different age ranges. Uh, but we have done things like we're into social media and things like that. But people I've seen that I've seen the youngsters climbing that cockpit and they're just straight there. You know, they're into expanding yeah. things and haptic I, and, I, and I, I, honestly. So this was the cockpit for Tempest, Team Tempest, a new concept demonstrator for future fighter in the UK. I had a, I had a quick look around and to me, it was felt a little bit alien in a cockpit to um, virtual reality so you're seeing um, through a helmet a virtual cockpit you're able to press buttons in there through a sort of avatar hand but what was interesting was seeing JB with no flying experience yeah, whatsoever absolutely. actually having an easier time in now you are as we said uh, I think we were talking about earlier 12 years younger than me with zero gaming experience, okay. Zero. Even with sorry, zero... were you talking to me? Or... Yeah, yeah, you see. <laughs> yeah, okay. uh, Dunk's several years older than the rest of us. Um, but you seem to be getting on straight away with the concepts in that cockpit. Whether it was seeing a virtual globe of the world, zooming in with a pinch, um, and being able to spot certain well, the, things. Well, the honest answer is, it's because the system's very, very intuitive. Yeah. You know, it, how do you think it's going to work? Well, it probably works like that. Yeah. You know, it's it, it's quite interesting. I would I, think, they, I would they go back to you know the what was probably at the heart of your question. Yes. The uh, the way pilots react, uh, you know, the the ethos, the determination, all of that sort of thing. I don't see changing at all. It'll just be you know the way they interact with the airplane and good looks, of course. I mean, yeah, right, oh, that, yeah. that yeah. won't change. That's yeah. why I stopped flying in the end. We just uh, we had a um, an international flying training conference at Cranwell over the last uh, the last couple of days, and the, the most interesting presenters we had an air cadet and we had uh, two guys in flying training right now talking about how they learn, and uh, it was the air cadet actually that said, you know. I wonder quite what we're looking at in the future in terms of recruitment. Are we looking at pilots or are we looking at operators? And he said, and I suspect we're looking at operators. However, I think it comes back to what Stu just said. It's more than that. Even though these systems being hugely technologically advanced, um, it still comes back to if you get into a fight, you still need to be able to fly that aeroplane to very quickly see, assess, and position your aircraft aggressively to beat that other yeah. uh, pilot or system. So I still believe 
uh, that even though there is an awful lot of technology there, you still you do have to be an operator. You have to be absolutely all over the systems, but you still have to have that intrinsic piloting and aggressive fighter piloting ability to be in there and fly those aircraft. And almost one of the jobs of the Team Tempest uh, individuals is to almost imagine the unimaginable because it's it's very easy for us to say well it's a cockpit let's put the dials in the right place and you think well hang on why do you need dials yes uh, you know so it's it, it's trying to adapt yourself to a almost in many respects as some of the engineers adapt yourself to a principle that you don't even understand yeah, yeah. Um, thinking. that's quite tricky yeah that's quite tricky but you know we'll do it so yeah. tempest um let's talk a bit more about that is that at the moment a solely british project uh, right, it, it's a team of five companies, okay. uh, UK MOD being the uh, the main driver, of course, and then uh, BA Systems, MBDA, Leonardo and Rolls-Royce. Uh, that's the core team that has got the programme off the ground and, and started it to run. Uh, clearly to deliver, and I come back to Future Combat Air System, not just the platform, yep. we will need a whole bunch of partners, be they both UK and international. Uh, so again, you know, I can't I can't emphasise uh, too much. It's step one of a quite a long ladder. Yeah, and I think people who see this aircraft might not get that. They might think, oh, well, yeah, yeah that, you, that's true. You know, it it, it, it it is a process. Yeah, yeah. So the process at the moment, then, are you are, you, are BAE looking for um, in, um, uh, international partners, or you, is that is that what you're trying to do or trying to achieve this weekend? Uh, no, Sorry, no, no. That that's been part of the process as we've gone through it, and will continue to be part of the process. So clearly, the focus in the first six months or so has to been has been to demonstrate that we are starting the journey. We've got a platform, uh, and again, it's a conceptual design of what it might look like broadly. Uh, but of course. I come back to the future combat air system so you know there'll be teams looking at how does it communicate what i starve systems it needs uh, how it forms part of what might be a combat cloud for example so there's a explain the concept of combat cloud i've, I've never actually heard that um well, i was I, I was hoping you might explain the uh, concept of combat cloud. well I, I i mean again uh combat cloud is in a, as a concept is relatively new but I think probably the easy way to describe it is if you look at uh, what most companies would put forward as a conventional uh, communications network, you'll see lots of lightning bolts with point-to-point contacts. Yes. Personally, I think of the combat cloud is a lot more like the internet. So you don't know where that data is coming to or going from because you're, you know, you're in this established combat secure cloud. So how you route your data, your calls, etc., is irrelevant to you as a as a you know a node in the system. Uh, and I can't think of a better way of describing it because, frankly, it's a relatively new concept anyway. Yeah, and I, there was a, a question last week at the AirPower conference in London, which was, "What is the combat cloud?" And it is, it, it, as Stu's just said, it's a concept that I think ultimately it gives you back to where we started it gives you situational awareness but you don't necessarily know where that information is coming from that gives you the dot on the screen or the ability to uh, you can imagine as a sort of three or a four star commander say there's a battle and you almost 
a bit like some of the gaming consoles, yeah. gaming platforms today, you press on a position and you've just pressed and requested an effect. Mm. And then somehow that effect, whether it's recce, whether it's strike, whether, whether it's, um, you know, whatever it happens to be, jamming, appears in that particular area. I think ultimately that's what the combat cloud is all about. So an internet of things that just yeah. joins up information. So I, I make no bones about it. I'm an Xbox user. I've got one at home, and I think they're brilliant. What's your favourite game? Uh, uh, probably Call of Duty. But, but you know, the, the point is, is Fortnite, the Fortnite is the new. It's the new. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I did my, uh, my nephew the other day. I was, there, I, was there, I was there. He showed me what Fortnite is because I'm not a gamer because I'm too competitive to be a gamer. Yeah. So when my son got an Xbox, he was always better than me. So oh, therefore, I didn't I say I never smashed it a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> But it's I mean, the, the, the point is, though, when I log on, I can be, you know, fighting somebody in the US. I've got no idea how it's being routed there, yes. and frankly, I don't care. Yes. Can I just yeah, um, same, can, same situation? Yeah, yeah. Can I just go back and talk and talk about yourself a bit? Um, I always love talking about myself, <laughs> being a pilot. You, um, you flew Nimrods. I did. Uh, just tell us a little bit about that and um, a little bit about submarine hunting, because I think that's absolutely fascinating. Uh, well, I I joined the Nimrod fleet uh, late seventies, early eighties. So I spent a lot of time. Probably spent about twelve years on the fleet. Uh, so I was a, a captain, including the Falklands War. So height uh, of the Cold War. So height well. of the Cold War, when, definitely, so absolutely right in the middle. When, of the Cold when, War. when did you join then? Were you always on, on, on Nimrods? I joined in 1974. So uh, did you have any crossover with the, with the Shackleton? Because that went out in no, 80s no, I just or? missed the. Well, I say just missed, missed the end of the Shackleton in the maritime role by quite some time, but the. Uh, Shackleton was still at Lossy Mouth in the ebb on early warning roll. Oh, right, okay. You uh, weren't alive in, in 1974, were you, James? No, 1984. Yeah. Right, I'm leaving now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> enough's enough. Uh, yeah, but I did a, a relatively long tour as a captain because I got caught in the Falklands War and then I commanded, commanded a squadron at Kinloss and ultimately commanded the station before I moved on. So, so I've had a long time in the Nimrod fleet. Uh, and it was... You know, slightly different dynamics to these two guys, but it was needle in a haystack comes to mind. Yes. Uh, there's an awful lot of sea out there, and one submarine in it is very difficult to find. Uh, but again, it comes back to the information that you have. Intelligence boils it down to a smaller area. Then you might need two or three aircraft. And one of the big things about submarine hunting generally is persistence. Really? You've got to keep an aircraft on top so, because so if a submarine doesn't want to be found can you still find it uh, yes and no uh, we're, we're probably easing into yeah, yeah. Uh, classification <laughs> well, uh, issues oh, okay, here yeah. I, I mean in very basic terms though the diesel submarine has to come to the surface at some stage to charge its batteries yes so it has exhaust out the engine so it's vulnerable to radar a nuclear submarine is always making noise because obviously it's got uh, pumps to cool the reactor and things oh. like that. So it's always making noise. The issue is it's making not very much noise these days. Yes. So you can imagine. Caterpillar uh, drive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Comfort in October. Well, yeah. um, air independent drive, of course, is the one which is keeping everyone up at night. Oh, is it? Is that, oh, so St- Sterling drive. Well, air, air independence is something that came in during the end of my time, which He's means... definitely a spy. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah. We might have to curtail the podcast here, far because much. JB is actually a spy, and we've told him way too much already. But, but you're right. I mean, air independent uh, made it very difficult for us in the diesel submarine because 
once it's down and quiet, that's it. Yeah. And if it doesn't then have to come up to charge its batteries, then you're, you know, you've got a different problem. But there are ways, and again, I, uh, something I can't go into, but there are ways of saying, we know there's a submarine coming down a particular route. Ah, so you, right. can, you can work out where to so put it's, a... So it's being in the right place at the right time. And how you get to that right place, well, we'll discuss that, that another yes, time. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, and, and so, Sue, how do you think... Do you, do you think the P8 is going to revolutionise what we do in that maritime role? Well, it certainly will at the moment because we don't have a maritime <laughs> yeah, yeah, control yeah, yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely filling a gap right now. Yeah. But so, so the fundamental principles of the way P8 will operate are exactly the same as they were when I was there, because so basically intelligence-led, putting out yep. sonar boys, yep, um, or and, radar, uh, or radar, and or ESM. Thing. I think from what I saw up at Lossy Mouth as we were getting ready for P8 to arrive, is the difference is exactly what we talked about at the beginning yes. actually the fusion of data absolutely so where so. you said you'd come back and found that you've missed submarine mast or yep. whatever it happens to be yeah actually the p8 because it's fusing the data into a single picture the people down the back are yep. more likely to be able to yep. find what they're looking for yep. we did an element of that with uh, with nimrod i mean the the data you could fuse on board but the i mean since I was on the fleet even, the sensor technologies move forward so it'll be better. Fusing of data, the intelligence you're able to take on to the aeroplane at very long range is better. Uh, and things like, you know, when you drop a sonoboy in the water now, it's GPS guided so you know exactly where it is. Whereas in our days, you had to, over, you had to overfly the sonoboy to get a position because, of course, you need to understand where your sonar boys are so that the signals they're gathering in from a submarine contact you know you could work the and I guess the tide the, and everything uh, affected that oh yeah why oh, is yeah. the why is the P8 done away with done away with the MAD system uh, well it hasn't necessarily there is a MAD fit for P8 but they don't use it no well, the, well, the well to, be, to be honest now again things have moved on submarine quietening you know it's effectiveness and, and how I mean it's, it's value for money largely it's what's the best detector that you can fit on an aeroplane yes you've only got so much air, uh, you know so much space on the jet um, so it's considered you know now you're going to have to excuse extreme naivety of this question okay but as a pilot of, yep. of, of an aircraft are, are, you, are you in charge of that whole operation or is there someone someone above you on that uh, on that on that aircraft um, who's dictating you know how the submarine Right. Well, in, in in very broad terms, pilot flies the aeroplane. Uh, somebody down the back, and certainly in Nimrod, it would normally be either one of the navigators, the tactical navigator, or the air electronics officer were were in charge of the way the mission ran. Now, on the UK Nimrod fleet, it was quite common to have a captain who was a rear crew captain, a navigator who would sign for the aeroplane, but the pilot would be a first pilot to a rear crew captain. Or you could have a pilot captain, you know, and a first navigator. So it was. It, uh, do you know what? It really didn't matter. Did it, not? it was thirteen people trying to, uh, you know, produce the very best in terms of uh, the combat effect that they they could do. And last thing is, it, it, it's it's a personal question. It's probably not very interesting to to, to, to many listeners. But on long on long missions, what did you all pack to eat? Well, we we didn't a lot. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but I know that you used to wrap up sandwiches. That's pretty much true. <laughs> yeah. 
What was it, an oven? Was it yeah. a proper you had an oven? You had a the full Nimrod feet, uh, fleet is much maligned for its eating capability. Is we it? were much better than that. You guys uh, had <laughs> some sort of pie and chips by the time you'd even taken off. You're only jealous. Yes. Yes. Just because, just because yes. you couldn't even get a pork pie in no. your cockpit. You know what? What can I say? Well, I mean, this. I mean, this is the one thing which which uh, which amazes me. If you guys, if I'm talking about Godders and Godders and Dunk here, if you guys went went up a long way, and you literally have to wrap up your own sandwiches. Well, we didn't have sandwiches. Do you didn't not? have anything. Just have to, you know. Yeah, but let, you, let's let's put you. this in Grit perspective. Our teeth, get on with it. Let's put this in perspective. When you get up in the morning, at I, I guess in your your lives now probably nine o'clock half nine Come somewhere around there. I mean I, I'm in the office for half nine. So literally. so in in an eight hour period from that half nine, you're going to eat, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. So would you expect us to do a job which is incredibly stressful and pretty hard on the body sometimes for eight hours with not without eating? Of course you would. But we, but we did. Yeah, well, that, that sounds like a personal problem. I mean, that, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry you got that wrong. We didn't. We were I'm able not, to I, do it, so we did. I'm only envious. <laughs> we didn't have a toilet either. But I mean, bear in mind as well. Certainly, once we got air-to-air refueling, it was quite. It was not that uncommon to take off for eight hours and find you're in the air for sixteen. Yeah. Because yeah. they'd send a tanker. Yeah. Must made you. Um, it must made you quite sad watching um, the eventual fate, fate of the Mark Four. Uh, yeah, it did. I was, I was one of, I was very lucky. I was one of the first uh, non-test pilots pilots to fly it, okay. uh, and it was, I mean, it was an amazing aeroplane. I mean, the sensor kit down the back again had just taken a giant leap forward. So the aeroplane, yeah, I mean, it was a more power, different, uh, but the kit down the back was, you know, the next generation of equipment. So yeah, it was very sad, but. I also understand at the time I was uh, doing work in MOD, uh, so I was part of the rationale, part of the reasoning, and the, you know everybody decries it, but I'm afraid to say it, you know the chief of the air staff at the time was left with very little opportunity, and it was the same with Harrier. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know there were there was no support solution in place, and had to save money, so it was an inevitable. Yeah. Uh, I, inevitable I guess it's just, it's just it's just great shame that we can't see that shape. Shape in the sky. Yeah, I, I think. I, I think. I, I mean, think I, I do still occasionally. Uh, there, there are a number of places around the country which have still got Nimrods. Well, there's one in Manchester Airport. So, well, Bruntingthorpe is the place I go, and there's a an MR2 there which we throw down the runway every now and again. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah. Which is good fun. Yeah. 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 Right. Well. Uh, well, Stuart Butler, thank, thank you very much. I uh, most enjoyed that. Well, it's uh, to be honest, it's nice to bring a bit of uh, multi-engine intellect to what's been a predominantly <laughs> fast get dominated. Dunk and I have sat here glazed over <laughs> yeah, for twenty exactly, minutes. Yeah. <laughs> the most interesting thing we could think about was pies. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah well, that was that was utterly brilliant, and uh, we might get you on a, 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 another no, time because, because, you know, just to have that different view of yeah. what's going on, and also in your current job, um, you know, part of Team Tempest. Yep. which is now the future of combat air yeah. and all of those concepts I think is massively yeah. interesting yeah. and uh, you know we're only skimming the surface yeah. right now as, oh, to what, as to where we're going yeah, with this absolutely. sort of thing I mean again you know it's, a, it's literally step one of a very long ladder there's yeah. a, an awful lot to do uh, you know that it, I mean it's just very exciting I mean to have a to have something sat out there which is the future for our kids yeah. is Absolutely amazing. Uh, and yeah, and the, the, there's just to finish, there's several people out there who've said, you know, 
day one of Farnborough Air Show was one of the most exciting yeah, yeah. day ones yeah. that they've had in a long, long time because there was yeah. a reveal of something that had been kept secret yeah. up until that point. Well, I mean, to have the Prime Minister here uh, to do a reveal and then we covered it all up again and then the Secretary of State did exactly the same was just brilliant. Stu, thanks very much. You're very welcome. Chalet, which is pretty, pretty cool, with Cliff Baldwin. Hello, mate. Hey. Uh, welcome. welcome. <laughs> Thank you. I can Thank tell Cliff's much. a little bit nervous about podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> How's your week been? Ah, it's been uh, been variable, but uh, no, glad it's Friday. I have to say. Have it's you sold a... any missiles? Yes. Oh, of course, loads, mate, loads. <laughs> so I, you know, I was, I, was, I was interested in missiles for a bit of home defence, but uh, you know, seems impossible yeah, to buy them. Just, no, it's been. Uh, Fun, fun fortnight really with RF 100 last week air pack conference and then this uh, it's been busy I'll yes. tell you what so JB what, so well, ha- hang on before we get, in, get into anything we need to discuss the fact that Mason thinks that he would win Red Bull Air Race <laughs> so we're actually watching the Red Bull Air Race now and he's actually nailed on well Mason says he would 100% win that's exactly win. what I've said I, I tell you what there is more chance of me winning the Red Bull Air Race than there is of Godfrey being the chief of the air star I'd go, and oh, I would, go, I I would go with that almost what we will now call the first Sea Lord incident <laughs> yes then uh, yes. I'll be surprised sea, if I'm sea actually Sea Lord Gate Gate yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm be surprised if I'm actually in a job next week. Well, whatever happens, Goddard, we're sorted anyway. Whatever you know, whatever heady heights we get to, because JB sold us those pensions. Yes, quite, quite. <laughs> so uh, minted, basically. Minted. Ab- yeah, nothing minted. can go wrong with minted. those. In fact, so That's which good. is why JB wanted to buy a Meteor. So, uh, yeah, okay. very yeah. quickly. Right. So Meteor, as I was leaving the Typhoon Force, um, was just being implemented a ramjet missile. The next right. generation of missile. Right. Um, I know, but I'm going to ask you to explain, Cliff. What's, okay. dif- what's different about it? So, so if you are a propulsion geek, it's actually not a ramjet; it's a ducted rocket. See, that's me told. So, but people say ramjet because that's an easier thing for the layman would understand. And so, what does a ducted? So, the ducted rocket is. So, if you think of a traditional propulsion system, can I describe it for a second, Cliff? It's yeah. All right. oh. I'll come back. There we go. Um, I think that was that was security coming to get Cliff because they had just given away all sorts of secrets about it actually being a ducted rocket system rather than a uh, than a ramjet. Yeah. But I'll I'll fill in this point. So, JB, one of the things, so the the medium to long range missile that we have on the Typhoon at the moment is called. He's back. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Sorry. Yes, please do. So. So, um, quite, well, traditional air-to-air missiles, in, historically, have been uh, propulsion systems of solid rocket motor, which has um, a propellant which literally burns, typically continuously throughout, and then you're gliding for the rest of the flight, so obviously slowing, slowing down as you manoeuvre. Oh, okay. Bleeding off speed, depending on the manoeuvre that you have to do for the, you know, for the target. So the difference with... An air breathing system is that you've you benefit from the oxygen in the air that you're flying through, whereas the solid rocket has the oxygen in it. In it, yeah. So if you do a direct comparison of uh, there's a thing called specific impulse, which is a way of comparing propulsion systems. So you find air breathing system is significantly better because um, 
you're obviously drawing an oxygen which is always you having to carry it's it quite similar what, what's the um, is it hyperbolic or hyper uh, I don't want to say hyperbolic explosives where you're actually using the oxygen from oh like hyperbaric uh, yeah. hyperbaric yeah, yeah it's a similar, similar sort of principle so you, you, you can get yeah. more explosive you can get so, more propellant so what that I guess just to pick up on what God was talking about then so I guess how that therefore differs and that's just one of the features in, in the weapon we're talking about but it does mean that you there's obviously a number of factors that have a bearing on uh, an air-to-air engagement but actually having uh, obviously longer range is typically a good thing potentially tactically but yep. also that actually a higher average speed and particularly towards the end game because everything is down to LATAX G capability to yeah, traditionally you would so what you're saying is right so when so if I shot at a long range yeah. when the missile actually gets to the target however many tens of miles away yeah. with a meteor because it's still got that fuel left and the rocket yeah. motor um, the ducted still rocket running. is still running yeah. it has greater maneuver potential because latax is also linked to pure speed combination factors but but it means that traditionally you would expect to need three times the G performance in your weapon to defeat the G performance of the platform so if you say 9G for argument's sake yeah. you need a 30G missile typically and something that's going slow because it's run out of puff wouldn't be able to do that whereas some of it's still <laughs> moving so it just means you've got a much better overall you know Probability of kill PK. It's got a better no escape zone in terms of air-to-air terminology. And that's the uh, and to me that's the exciting thing about Meteor in that um, always in the air-to-air war, essentially he who sh- shoots first wins. And Meteor, as long as and here's the trick: as long as you can identify that that target on the radar it's a hostile. is a hostile yeah. from. X tens of miles away, then I can shoot first with a meteor because it is a much faster missile for much longer than any of the current missiles out there. That's yeah. Right. Okay. So that's understood. So in terms of MBDA, that's kind of what you guys do. It's it's weaponry technology, and and so if you take Typhoon, which um, they're just putting brimstone onto the uh, onto the plat onto uh, Typhoon. And tell me, Storm Shadow, yeah. right? Yeah. So I know about Brimstone. I know about right. Storm Shadow. Right. Tell me about Spear, because that that, that yeah. interests me. Okay. So, um, so just by way of background, then. He's so there are. Yes, but they're both spies. In terms of the um, the customer, you know, the RAF requirement, there there is a very broad requirement for air to ground capability, and. No single solution can do all of that. And the way it's basically evolved is we've ended up with a family or a suite of weapons which are numbered spear one, two, three, four, five. So this is so, like, so JB and and for, and for your non-specialist listener, this is essentially <laughs> no one, nobody listens to us, right? As a non-specialist listener, do, <laughs> is that right? Do they? That, that is true. No, no, no one, no Dunk's one, dad. Is, no, no, uh, no one tuned yeah, yeah. in into this expecting recipes and cooking. And right, so this is uh, so this explanation is specifically for Dunk's dad. Um, yeah. Hello, Dad. Hello. Um, <laughs> Not for my dad because he wouldn't be able to listen to it anyway. That's, that's another story. <laughs> He's here in spirit. Yeah. But it's essentially like having a different set of clubs in a golf bag. Yeah, correct. You know, that's yeah. exactly what it is all about. We've always talked about yeah. that in that you know for a particular target that might be hardened and deep, yeah. you need a 
uh, you need a certain penetrating uh, warhead, mm -hmm. such as Storm Shadow, for a rapid target, a mobile target, that you, it, the position is constantly changing, yeah. that's what something like Brimstone is Indeed. optimized for. And if you can take a brimstone and give it <laughs> extended range, then that's when you get into the, the yeah. spear type ah, family. Because they do look yeah. very similar. They are actually, by, by you know, purely glancing at them, they are uncannily similar just in terms of size. Yeah. Although um, spear is actually a heavier missile. It's a much den more densely packed missile. In fact, so it's a greater mass than a brimstone. But, but it's also... so. Perhaps just winding back slightly, so Spear 1 is effectively a paved way for and yes. derivatives thereof. So 500 pound class laser guided yeah. or GPS Dual guided bomb. mode uh, LGB. Uh, Spear 2 is the Brimstone family. There's obviously paths for... So a rocket powered yes. um, guided via laser or... Millimeter wave, but millimeter dual radar. capability within that. So Spear 3 we'll come back to. 4 yeah. is Storm Shadow. And oh, so, uh, so an airborne right. launched cruise missile, and then five is effectively follow on to Storm Shadow. So obviously that's been a weapon we've had in service quite a few years, used in Iraq and obviously Libya. Okay. But what you're talking about, JB, is what's known as Spear Three. Spear Three, yes. Okay. So Spear meaning selective precision effects at, at range. range. So that's the acronym. In case you're wondering what Spear bit derives from. So. Um, so, yeah, back actually in deck DTA era of time in the MOD when that was all being evolved. So, so that's, that is the Spear 3 requirement. So the industry response to the program that we're doing in order to meet their requirement is, is the system you were just describing. So it's... Do you think it will get a name? Like well, Storm we, Shadow well, or we, Meteor? Um, or? Well, we, uh, our marketing people refer to it in an export sense as the Spear Missile. Um, uh, so I guess that's what we're, whether it will then evolve to something else I don't know but um, that's but, because that's an interesting point it. just in sales in that JB do you think like that. Spear is one yes, thing I thought that's exactly when actually it's a family so yeah. you know maybe well, that I mean as a walked in you've got all the, the mm. whole suite of yeah, weaponry so obviously they're that? all to scale though so you can obviously get a better feel for yeah. what they are but so the Spear, the Spear 3, the Spear weapon being delivered for that, which is you know, in progress at the moment, and has been dropped off a Typhoon actually as well, so that that weapon is, you know, in terms of I guess just to compare it perhaps with, you know, Brimstone that we just touched on, is um, I guess in terms of the subsystems, what it's made of, so Brimstone is a solid rocket, you know, we were talking mm. about solid rockets before in the air-to-air, -air, so Brimstone is a solid rocket, so Spear 3, the Spear weapon, it's got a gas turbine engine, so again in terms of kinematic performance and all of that, so that will therefore fly further, it's got wings on it, Brimstone yep. doesn't have wings on it so you've got a much greater range of performance than say a Brimstone would have it's also, we're now bringing into, so Brimstone has a particular warhead design which is the tandem shape charge warhead which is optimized for armor with a precursor shape charge and then a follow-through shape charge which is to defeat advanced armor type targets so so the two charges sorry the two warheads on that that would be would that be to defeat some counter missile technology so you have the, the first the first contact and then second contact so um so i guess just Sim simplistically, some there are some protection measures like a explosive reactive armor, yes, type of thing, which uh, 
and then it's like it's like countermeasures that try to counter counter, isn't it? Yeah. And then you're trying to defeat, and then you try and overmatch the threat. So, um, so that's really primarily, and the, in fact, they're canted. So the first charge is angled slightly offset from the rear charge as well, just to help help enhance the overall penetration. But the other benefit, though, as we've tr transitioned brimstone and used it on ops, and it's not always been against tanks, which originally was where it was yeah. you know, aimed at. So actually, even other vehicles, because of the directional effect of the warhead, which is essentially longitudinal, if you like, along the, the body of the weapon, you get very little frag around. So actually, it's really good from the point of view low of collateral a, a, a low collateral uh, effect. Now tell me, how much, how much does a weapon system like this cost per, per fire or per missile? It's well, ten, £10? Pounds? Is we, it £10 pounds per we missile? We wouldn't talk about pricing, I'm afraid, so that's a bit we can't really talk about. That's okay. It's a, an impossible thing, because it all depends on... It depends on numbers, dates, and things like that, and it's also competition sensitive, so that's just the reason we wouldn't talk to that ah, because other companies would obviously quite like to know what that is in order to compete against us so that's it's just the only reason really but but I guess just going back to the spear thing just to, just to go back on that then so you've got a um, wings and a gas turbine engine so that's obviously part of it one of the other parts is having touched on the brimstone warhead this is now a multi-effects warhead so um, against a much broader target set to have different optimised effects that the warhead can be fused in different ways depending on what you want it to do, whether it be a vehicle building, troops in the ground. So you might want a delayed fuse for so, yeah. something exactly. and something else. So something this else. warhead is clever enough that it allows you to tell it what you want it to do because you know what the target type is. Furthermore, um, the weapon also has now a data link, a two-way data link. So Brimstone, once it's gone, there is no other way of communicating and it. it's gone. Obviously, yeah. it's a shorter flight time as well, of course, but but with Spear, because it's got a much greater range performance, then you could retarget it, for example, from a building to a vehicle. Actually, I want the fuse to do something different, so get it to do something else when it gets there. So I guess it all links in, doesn't it, with what we saw previously with Tempest? Well, yeah, um, and actually, obviously, it's also F-35 type conical, but actually even with, you know, for Typhoon as well, where... Um, you want, you know, in, in the modern era, you want things with extended range, because that's obviously typically a good thing, you know, by and large, to be further away from the threat, which mm -hmm. I guess is, you know, not a bad thing, clearly. As long as you've got the, you can meet the ROE and you've got the ID aspects to allow you to employ it, but also that um, by having two-way links, you've got much more flexibility, because actually you can retarget it, as we were just alluding to, so um, you can tell it to do different things. Um, you get feedback as well, you know, meters, two-way data link, so I'm getting feedback in the air-to-air mode as well, so it improves your essay. Of Situational avoid. awareness. Yeah, indeed. Uh, yeah, there you so. Go. so one thing here, Cliff, it is blindingly obvious that you've got a real interest in the engineering aspects. So what is your background? Clearly I know He's for anyone listening. He's my question. He has. <laughs> he has. What, what is your background? My background. So I, um, well, that boring with lots of boring things, but I... Uh, I was sponsored at university by the Royal Air Force on a cadet trip and went and did engineering at university and then joined, uh, joined the Air Force, went through officer training, did engineering training, which was done at Cromwell in those days, and part of the training included working on the, the Hunter, which oh, we yeah. used to work on Hunters as part of our training so that we played like the ground crew that we would ultimately command as an engineering officer. So that was interesting on old hunters with Avpin start and cartridge start. So a big bang to get the engine running. Yeah, indeed, yeah. Yeah, so Avpin, which then 
as I then was subsequently posted to RAF Binbrook in Lincolnshire, where I was the junior engineer officer on 11 Squadron Lightning Squadron, English Electric Lightning Squadron. They often normally call aircraft. In 1984, so I feel quite old now talking about it, but so... uh, uh, JB, when were you born? 1984. (laughs) (laughs) Great. I'm so pleased I'm talking about it. So, you know, 120 airmen working on the aeroplane, obviously I was pretty brand new, you know. How hard were they to work on? Because of course you've got those engines stacked on top of each other. You had. So they... uh, Obviously, things have improved massively over the years in aircraft are designed for maintenance. Those jets weren't. So that clearly meant the man-hours per flying hour was not very good. You know, Just give us an indication of like, what kind of man-hours per flying hour would, would uh, apply oh, I don't actually can't recall necessarily. But, for example, I guess um, there were very few limited access panels. So that drove you, therefore, if you had a particular issue, you quite often would have to take the engines out. Which is not a trivial task to just do. to change a just cable to get access to something to an there was no other way you could get oh. to it. So and how did you change the engines? Did what did you drop one down from underneath? Well, you still obviously you could have because it depends. So you could open up the top, the spine of yep. the aircraft and lift one out if it's the upper one, or drop one out below. Because uh, obviously they were also on the the Mark Six Lightning, which had a bigger. Um, ventral tank because there was a part, belly of the, underneath. Part, of, part of the upgrade from Mark 3 to Mark 6 where we went from a smaller ventral to a, a much bigger ventral which also had the gun 30mm yeah. gun pack in there um, but they also pr- had a very bad reputation in those days for fuel leaks which also led to fires and so there was probably I don't know how many we lost in the North Sea and off Lambert Head, but mm, that's know, what happened. Actually, to that one at Thunder City, isn't it? Had a fire. Oh, is it? Oh, is that, is that what it was? Because yeah, that yeah. was, um, I saw, in fact, it was the Air Power Conference the other day. They played a message from Professor Brian Cox, oh, and okay. when he was talking about RF 100 and innovation, one of the things he talked about was his love of aviation from an early Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And one of the most exciting things he ever did was flying a lightning which was the Thunder City. Right. 
and that's the one that you're talking about, Doug. Because so the two seater was side by side, of course, as you guys yeah. know. But yeah. Um, but yeah, so we have had a T bird, yeah, T T bird on the squadron plus. How, so how many? How many? Um, twelve airframes. Twelve. Twelve. Yeah. You know, an interesting thing I read the other day. A friend of uh, Duncan I's um, has just done a PhD, and he's done it on culture within the Royal Air Force. And right on one which of the chapters, ironic, knowing him, isn't it? yeah, which is ironic, knowing Finn. Oh, I've said his name. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things was, as yeah. the Royal Flying Corps transitioned to the Royal Air Force, right. a squadron was 12 aeroplanes and 129 engineers. Mm. And I find it fascinating, if not a bit worrying, that there you were on the Lightning, that it was 12 aeroplanes and 120, yeah, 30, about, 30, about that, 30 yeah, engineers. And it's also where we are today. So a story for yeah, another day in terms of yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah, how we might need sense. to change that. But I just found that mm. fascinating. But that it was there fascinating. you are, seventy years later. Cold, obviously, it was Cold War era in those days. Obviously, doing still doing QRA, of course. Yeah. And we had the Q shed there, obviously, with uh, and um, so all of that stuff. And um, was it a? Did it take a lot to keep that aeroplane flying? And, and yeah, I mean, it was must have been because I've left there in uh, when did I leave in my, well a, a couple of year tour I guess but the guy that replaced me was the last one because we disbanded it in 1988 89 something like that I think it was so and is it true about the senior engineering officer who went flying in a well, lightning I th- well what is he I think I think whoa, 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 whoa. it is but I don't have guarantees what, what, what's the story so, so the story goes and it would be I'd love anyone to tweet us to, if they have proof of this, but so the story goes that there was a lightning that required an engine run. Yeah, ground. Yeah, ground running. Yeah. So was at the end of the runway. It required an afterburner run. There was no ejection seat in it. So the engineering officer who was authorised to do this sat on a box inside the inside the cockpit. And when he went up to afterburner through a detent, isn't it? Yeah, yeah through a detent. Yeah. The jet wasn't strapped down properly, so it jumped the chocks. And he essentially took, Jeez. not essentially, he actually took off in this aeroplane. And this guy, by all accounts, had I think, a... I think it was ocean entering, actually. I think that was the alleged rumour, but I've got no way of proving that no, but then, true. So this guy is now airborne in a Lightning, sat on a box in the cockpit. <laughs> and by all accounts, he flies a reasonable circuit, because I think he had a PPL. And then puts this Lightning on the yeah. deck... Badly, but enough, yeah. probably slightly better than the one I left near the A1 um, a few years ago, and um, and completely got away mm-hmm. with it. And so this story has done the rounds for oh, yeah, years and been. years and years in the Royal Air Force. That. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. And apparently is true, but mm. but I'm not so sure now if. Cliff, you're looking no, at me. No, I mean, I think it, it was, was Cliff. A, it was a well-known. <laughs> was it, it was a well-known st- story, but then even know, when you got there, was this a totally 70s or a 60s? Thing? Just for those listening, Cliff's looking very bashful at this point. No, and was, I think it wasn't you know, me. I can assure you. Yeah. But, um, but no, it was That's what he uh, would say. You know, in those days, we were flying with red top and fast streak missiles. So red top oh, moved yeah, on. So yeah, the, yeah. The, the joke with red top and fast streak. If you remember Top Gun, where he says, "I'm too close to missiles and switching to guns," <laughs> the red top and fast streak was always, "I'm too close for guns. I'm switching to red top." <laughs> you had now, to be in so close. One of those missiles yeah. could not fire. Am I right in thinking they could not fire at an oncoming aircraft? Well, they so fast streak was the earlier of the two. Yes. And it had. Um, it's all IR type missiles like that. You Infrared. Want, you want to cool, yeah. So yeah. So you want to cool the seeker to improve its ability to, you know, acquire. And uh, so there was a cooling system on the 
Plastric, which was ammonia, so the ammonia bottles, um, which was the coolant for that particular missile. So, so on the flight line at Minbrook, we used to have 45 gallon oil drums full of water, so that if the ground crew got contaminated with ammonia, you dunk them into the water. A full dunk. Jeez. A bit, bit of a snag when it's frozen, you know, but apart from that, but when we switched to Red Top, it was a pure air bottle for the coolant. So, um, and that is the point. So, every infrared <laughs> missile, in order to cool the, the seeker, to a point where it can detect has mm. some sort of cooling some way system. of cooling it that's so which you so know as ram the advanced short range yeah. air to air missile yeah. was carried by RAF typhoons has a cooling system it built does. in that uses pure air does, generation yeah. to to cool so it doesn't yeah. need an auxiliary bottle that an awful lot of missiles yeah. well, just um, moving on slightly are they putting all these aircraft to bed what's going on here there's a lot of aircraft being towed down the runway, and I think it's exactly that. There are. Uh, they're putting them to bed for the night because, goodness me, it's five o'clock already. Do you not think that that crop that crop duster thing that's been militarized, militarized? The one out of Disney. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, yeah. You're right. It is, isn't it? It's the one out of planes that's been given a camouflage uh, overhaul. It looks a bit like a Stuka, do you not think? Oh, it yeah, does. Yeah, it does. You're absolutely right there. Would you, would you? Yeah, a bit, actually. Would you like to fly Junkers 87? Yeah. <coughs> Me too. You'd like I'd, to fly everything, I'd though. I'd love yeah. it. I've never heard you say I wouldn't like to fly that. That's I'd true. love to. Would you fly it in the back? Facing the wrong way <laughs> with a gun. <laughs> yeah, why not? Can you imagine? Because those things used to go into a, what, an 85-degree dive right, or yeah. something like that? You Can you imagine being the guy in the back? Yeah. As it went into an 85 degree dive, so now you are looking at the sky, not knowing what mm. the, the right. idiot we in can, the front is doing. We can listen to you two talk forever. <laughs> right. uh, I've got a final question for you. Okay, right. all right. So think about the lightning, and it's still, yeah. you know, it, it's, <clears throat> its performance statistics today are still yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, you know, time to hide and everything else was you know, it, pretty damn impressive, clearly. In your mind, you know, what made, uh, what, what made it such a good aircraft? Well, I guess... It's um, the engineering, wasn't it, clearly? Obviously, clearly. <laughs> it's all you know, about the engineers. The, um, I mean, just, I guess, some of the other interesting features, obviously it's a very swept wing, which obviously was optimised, a very thin wing, because that's a supersonic cross-section, which meant that the tyres, the wheels, were very narrow, which meant that you had very... Just to fit in the wing cross-section, so you had very oh, high-pressure tyres. So you used to have something like 350 PSI tyres, which is much higher than, say, a Tornado would be, yeah. for example, um, which also meant that... You, if you're in cross wind landings you could shred your tyres you know, after a couple of sorties or you know, even one landing if it's a high cross wind but, um, but no I mean obviously pretty good Avon engines with obviously reheat I mean the reheat ratio of improvement you know it's older generation engine performance but you know still pretty good high, you know, thrust to weight ratio um, obviously one of the limitations was it didn't have a huge amount of fuel and would burn through fuel um, so that you, you know, unrefueled, you, um, you know, would have less than an hour sortie, typically. What, yeah, what was the range on, on, on like Well, I mean, they, I mean, obviously with, with Q, you clearly needed a tanker, but I mean, the, if you've ever seen, was it the AI-21? Just I think that was the radar that was controlled, obviously, by the pilot, whilst obviously flying the aeroplane. Yes, I've seen that. So With I, a, a B-scope that... Um, you literally have to put your head down, do you? The, the B-scope. But obviously, so whilst flying, controlling with a million buttons on this radar controller, and obviously it could be low on gas over the North Sea at night, intercepting a Russian bear who maybe might, you know, strobe lights or whatever it might they might do. So it's pretty.
pretty sporty for you know a young 21 year old combat ready lad who's just joined from you know and gone through training so um but no i mean it was you know pure performance obviously you know chat to the guys who fly you know they could easily just go through a mat without even noticing and well beyond without any problem at all you know really would you would you describe it as beautifully flawed I guess you could possibly do that. I mean, obviously, it's, it, I guess it's like everything. You know, your first job as well. You always look back fondly on, on, uh, on things like that, don't you? But uh, you know, brilliant job do you, to do. Do you know one of Porky's claims to fame? Could be one of many. One of many. But yeah. he was on the last ever lightning intercept. Was he now? Yeah, he, he went up in. Not in a lightning. Yeah. Not not in a lightning. though, yeah. he was in F four. But the F four was meant. The idea was the F four was going to intercept. Yeah. I said, no, 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 we'll um, let the Lightnings do it because it's their last intercept. Yeah. Uh, is and that right? That was that. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, and with that wonderful anecdote, thank, yeah, thank no, you very thank much. Thank you very much, Cliff. Yeah, no, cheers, Cliff. Cheers. Maybe the first and last time, but anyway. Gentlemen, <laughs> <laughs> we are back. Not only are we back, uh, by the way, back in, and still in quite high spirits. You would have thought, wouldn't you, since nine o'clock when we first met. It's been a long day. What time is it now? We will be flagging. It is 10 o'clock, yeah. so that's 13 hours. 13 so hours so far. 13 hours of this inane yeah. chat, yeah. and we're still going strong. Still going, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're in the Air Force Club now, though. Yeah. Well, uh, yes. We are. 128 right. Piccadilly. 128 Piccadilly, the Royal Air Force Club. Do we? And JB, what do you think? It's stunning, isn't it? It's stunning. Yeah, it is an amazing place. Tell me a bit about the history of this place. Was it gifted to the RAF, or was it part of the Royal Estate, or did no, one right. of the brand... Services own it. Don't quite Google it. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> no, it was gifted. Was it? I think, yeah. Uh, um, and ultimately, it's a members club open to uh, serving members, ex-members, uh, and they've expanded to families as well. You pay to become a member, but it's a place you can stay in town. And, and as you've seen this evening, um, you can come and eat here. You can come and have a drink here, and um, just very nice. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And on cue, got some <laughs> snacks. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. So, I mean, it is a brilliant place. Um, but clearly, we don't know the exact history mm. of it. But I've been told before. But I mean, it is—you uh, know—it's it, got its own uh, significant history. And everywhere you go in here, I mean, we're in a very grand. We're in a what's it called a cavalry bar? Cavalry room. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And uh, it's a very grand bar that we're sat in now. But everywhere, it's like an art gallery in itself. I mean, it's—it's uh, it's a great place to visit. Now, one of the things that you. Um, Forewarned me of is the quality of the artwork here. Now I'm no art, I'm no art critic, but it is extraordinary. It is absolutely extraordinary, mm. and it spans all the way, you know, from the the beginnings of the Royal Air Force really, mm. when people started painting the aircraft, and we've seen them all the way back, haven't we, from the the very earliest aircraft all the way up to the most modern. Mm. I didn't see an F-35. I don't know if there's an F-35 in here. Have you seen one? No, I, 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 bet you, I bet you there's one, one commissioned yeah. right now. I, I didn't see any tor- tornado either. Maybe I wasn't looking mm. No, th- th- there is. There is are, that? Yeah. Plenty of tornadoes. There is art. So we had a little look down the main corridors, but there is art all the way in where all the rooms are. Every wall is covered. The, the best part of this place for me, by a country mile, are the... Uh, are the uniformed pictures of all the different coats of arms of all the different squadrons that for me is comfortably the best it's like 400 I, well, 
I haven't counted, but I'm guessing it's like 400 different co coats of arms. Maybe, maybe, maybe more. Yeah, I mean... Spans the whole corridor. Uh, that alone is worth just going to look at. And when you think about the history behind just each and every one, what each of those squadrons have done, and, uh, you know, some of them, uh, are sadly now a small minority, but are still squadrons that are serving today mm. and still on operations right now as we speak. How do beer decide, right? Say if we got into a conflict or we expanded the Air Force, how do we decide which squadrons to open? Is, it, is, is there a system for this? There is, actually. They... Um, Ultimately, it's up to the Air Force Board, which mm -hmm. is the management board that runs the Royal Air Force. And they'll take advice from the Air Historical Branch. So that's a, a, a branch based at RAF Northold that has um, all of the historic records of the Royal Air Force and will investigate which one of those squadrons is a senior squadron. Is there a particular element that makes the operation that we're standing up an additional squadron for, or uh, uh, you know, the reason for standing up an additional squadron, makes them more suited to it. Mm. So they will receive proper professional advice and then make the decision as what to which squadron stands. What up. amazing branch! It's an amazing place. So it's got. I've been in there a few times, and. It's, it's really interesting seeing behind the curtain. So as an example, I, I went in and asked a question about uh, a friend's relative who died in a, I think it was a, a, a Lincoln, may have been a Wellington bomber from Lossina. Mm -hmm. Immediately, the guy went to a Rolodex system of KIAs in a particular year, found that particular name, cross-referenced it to something else, which was the crash report, and within seconds, without even using a computer, we had the crash report of this particular bomber on a on a you know November day in 1943 up in Lossina. Wow! And there's a whole range of stuff in there. A lot, an awful lot of stuff that is we, as an example, when we changed three squadron from a Harrier squadron into a Typhoon squadron, there was an awful lot of memorabilia, if you like, and history with the squadron. We yeah. took what we thought would be good and then actually the rest of it went into the air historic branch. There's operational records from year from God, that sounds incredible. hundred years. I went in there and they in showed us sketches. So it was Barnes Wallace's initial sketches of how the bouncing bomb would work. Really? Yeah, they've just got that kind of stuff in there. It is incredible. No, is that that is gen genuinely amazing. So it's obviously some sort of mixture, isn't it, between Battle honours and no, exactly originality. Yeah. So you know, the, one squadron, so, so, so about, I assume, four yep. squadron, mm -hmm. uh, one squadron, two squadron, three squadron, four squadron, um, five, and six. Then, I could go on. You know. Um, so there's a numerical and historic side of it, and then there's other things. You know, like one twenty squadron. It was an Nimrod squadron. Yeah. That I think will be a P eight squadron. You know, it's that sort of stuff. So there's a precedent behind some of these ah. squadrons. <coughs> and what was announced in the last couple of weeks, so the next Typhoon squadron that will start <laughs> up is Nine Squadron. Mm -hmm. One of the amusing things there being that the emblem of Nine Squadron is a bat. <laughs> and the guy who's going to be their boss, Simon Bat. Is you that right? You could not... You made that stuff you up. Li you literally couldn't have. No. So I can imagine how much stuff squadron prints are being asked to make right now 
for Batty. <laughs> well, if he's listening, well done, Batty. You deserve it, mate. Yeah, congratulations. Um, so anyway, so back to today, JB. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Just before we do that. Yes. Before we do that. If you had to bring back one squadron, historically, have you got any in mind that you that, that you would bring that you would reopen? Now there's a question. I'll tease it. Think about it, and we'll talk about and we'll talk about the air show. Hmm. Okay. All right. So JB, that uh, so JB's first air show today. Yeah. Exactly. First ever air show, which I can't believe. He's such a geek about all things aviation. Far more than we are. Guys. Oh, he knew more stuff than we did by an absolute country mile it's today. It's the details, oh boys. It's the de- It's the details which you don't know, which you can only get from so listening. What, to but, and I wouldn't count that as an air show specifically today. It was. It's, it's more. Better a, than that. In fact, what did one of the guys say? It was an aerospace show. Yeah. Yes. Given all the trade stance and everything, but what do you think? I, I loved it. I loved every second of it. I actually prefer the fact that it was an aerospace show because you get to see the inner. An air show sounds nice. You get to see planes flying. But I think it's about the expertise and the industry behind it, which is more, which is more impressive, really. Which is why I like, which is why I enjoyed it so, so much today. And one of the interesting chats we had, define interesting. Someone's going to banter me in a minute. But walking through those halls there, you can see the amount of companies exactly right that build nuts and bolts for aeroplanes or flat jack runners yeah. or the things that you don't see on a daily basis because you just see that aeroplane as a whole there is a whole stand mm. for plexiglass yeah well it's important of course it is <laughs> yeah, of course it is. yeah. Uh, I mean you'd think that they were they, they wouldn't need a stand because <laughs> they they've been making uh, um, you know um, there are some weird stands in there though, units there? for aircraft for like, I still don't understand what time. Kentucky Aviation were doing there do you that was my favourite I mean, anyone who gives out Kentucky ones. bourbon yes yeah. to, I mean, to promote the aviation industry in in Kentucky, Kentucky yeah. is doing well. I, I was happy. I, I, look, I, look, I'm happy to give Kentucky all my aviation business now because yeah. you know, <laughs> it was. I just still couldn't work out exactly what they were doing there. Yeah. Um, but back, back, back to the point. Uh, you know, so much of aerospace is unseen. You know, one of the biggest privately held companies in the Northwest is uh, the Hyde Group. They've got something like 50 sites in the Northwest, and you would never know. They don't even have signs on, and yet they're busy making nuts and literally nuts and bolts for. F thirty five, you just wouldn't see us, and I think this, I think the show um, represents that perfectly. All of these small and medium sized businesses making these tiny components, and it all goes into one fin- one finished product. So, of the flying that we saw, which wasn't a huge amount because there wasn't a lot going on today, what did you what what, what did you like the most Ooh, as a uh, as an air show virgin? Mm. Well, should we? What did we have? Um, so, so that people what, know what we had. All right. So we saw the the Red Bull aeroplane doing the Red Bull um, air race demo, air race demonstrations, yep. flying between the inflated pylons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We had F sixteen. We had an Airbus A three fifty. Yeah. We had we saw. We had a Harrier. A Harrier. Yeah, a Harrier. Oh, Spanish Harrier. Spanish Harrier. Spanish Harrier. Which. I don't know whether our commentary will appear because of the noise of that. No, I don't think. I don't think it's. We'll, we'll find out. Won't we? We'll find out. They'll find yeah. out. Um, what else did we see? We saw. Um, well, we saw BBMF flew through. Yes. Just flew through. Oh, the red towards the end of the day. I tell you, the it wasn't wasn't a display, but it's comfortably my favourite sight. I don't think I'll ever see it again. Seeing that vampire. Yes. That was amazing. Vampire arrived, as did the Blenheim. The Blenheim with and the Spitfire. Spitfire. Yeah, the, Blen- the Blenheim was cool for the same, exactly the same reason. I don't think you'll ever see a Blenheim flying again. Well, there's only one flying well, in the world. Will. Yeah, you might. Oh, I mean, I might do, but it's a, so rare. 
but to see that vampire as well I mean such rare tech now yeah um, we also had uh, the Turkish attack helicopter yeah and I, I enjoyed that but I had to disappear as that was, sh- as, as that was displaying yeah um, but, what, what else can we interesting piece can of we, kit is there anything else it's amazing how different so how wing, many the wing walkers wing walkers oh, yeah, wing of course aero superbatics I don't were there. really get that truth, truth, truth be told you know, I either want to see gymnastics or aerobatics, but I don't, I don't really want to see both. <laughs> I'm happy to see both. That was completely uh, happy. A bit of barnstorming is yeah. what that was. That's a cry back to the 20s. Mm. That's what Indeed, they, they did. And the, what you was know, your favourite then, JB? We'll go around the room. Yeah, in terms mm. of just the sheer power of the thing, I thought the F-16 was amazing. The F-16 was genuinely amazing. At the time, I thought, this is better than the Harrier. But actually thinking back towards the Harrier... They were just different, different, different displays. I don't think. I think it's exactly that. I don't think you can compare them yeah. because they are so different. I mean, yeah, the sheer, just, just the power of it, and the noise, and the drama of the F-16 was just something else. The Harrier, um, it, 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 it was impressive. You know, although it doesn't have you know, that, that sheer brutality of the X, of, 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 of the F-16. You certainly feel the power it can generate, like when it's in a hover, and then when you know it's in the hover and it sprays the water into the um, engine, and then you get the smoke. It's, it's, there's some great theatre there, but I think one of the most surprising things of the whole air show was watching the Airbus display because you never see a big aircraft like that dis- um, display as amazed what it could do. Yep, yeah, it was impressive. It was it an A350? A350, yeah. Bloody yeah, amazing. Yeah. What about you, Dunk? Um, I have to say, nostalgia definitely makes it a Harrier for me. To see it back in the UK, it's been eight years since I've seen one anyway. I'm sure they've been back in the UK from different from different countries, but to see it, and it was a hot day today, and you could see, you know, God and I were discussing at the time, you could see that he was on the performance limits. He had a full Billy the Wiz. He was definitely, uh, he, he was handling the aeroplane gingerly because uh, that's what was required at the time. Mm. And uh, so I, uh, I really enjoyed seeing that, uh, that machine again. That was great. Well, what about you, Goddess? Um, I'll tell you what, in terms of nostalgia, I really enjoyed seeing both the F-16 and the, and the Harrier. Yeah, um, although I last captained the Harrier in... 2000, you know, almost 20 years ago, which is ridiculous. I did get a flight in 2010 in a Harrier and went hovering again. But to see the jet hovering, and it's not new to me because I think we've both seen F-35s recently, but that did remind me of a different part of my life, as did the F-16. And um, I really, really enjoyed seeing that F-16. And, the, and JB, you mentioned it, the power yeah, amazing. Um, and when you look at that aeroplane as well, you know, the bubble canopy, I just love strapping that thing to me. It's one of those things, you know, it was you doing get into a lot of aeroplanes, but a Spitfire, I think, and an F-16 are the same. You strap them to you yeah. and go flying. When it's in straight-level flight and then it starts rolling, it, it is quite something to see. Um, I have to say I do have, I will admit now after one or two beers, a slight tinge of regret that I've never flown one. I did want to go on that exchange, but uh, it's clearly never good enough. Let's see if we can get you a trip. But uh, but actually, uh, uh, React last week, for me, it was the A400. The the display, all the Chinook. Things I don't generally see in big aeroplanes being thrown around the sky. And today, I think you're right, one of the standout 
unusual displays was that A350. It, you know, I genuinely thought it might fall out of the sky. It, 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 it's there is there's, so there's an element of oh, what's the word? Uh, I don't think it's danger. I think it's it's, it's suspense. I don't yeah. know what it is because you don't know what what they're going to do with that aeroplane, and you can't believe that they can do something like that with a, with an aeroplane that basically takes off, takes you on holiday, and lands at the other end. Yeah, it seems. I mean, if you are a nervous flyer in any way, watch watch a, a video of one of these things being displayed because you get to understand what the capability really is, and it only uses about a fraction of the whole of, of the whole thing. And and one of the things for me as well, <laughs> the scared Air Commodore again comes out. But J, <laughs> JB and I were discussing: Do you get a bit nervous? The bravest Air Commodore in the world. In the world, we had to drag Goddard no, back out. He he hid under the. Um, Yes, and I think we realised that that was um, as likely as what was it? What was I supposed to be? You're going to win the Red Bull Air Race. Oh, that's yeah, right. Yeah, 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 you yeah, winning the yeah, Red Bull Air yeah. Race. Yeah, that was after right. a curry and a few beers. So well, yeah. he's going to win it. Yeah, yeah. says exactly. he's going to win it at a counter. But yeah. did you see when it landed at the end? Just mm. how smooth, how obvious it looked. So my slightly nervous worry when someone else, clearly another idiot is flying it when I'm down the back of these aeroplanes waiting for them to both have had the fish or the prawns and, <laughs> and me to have go and full on airplane yeah, moment. and me to go and save 300 people which has never happened in uh, in 30 odd years but did you see how smoothly that thing touched down and so you boys are flying together right just imagine this scenario you're, you're both flying well I mean God is obviously you've, 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 you've been first, you've been first class Obviously. And Duncan could be a little further down. And be um, far further down. Far, far further down. Yeah. Duncan could be flying it. And then the call, co- call comes out. We need a pilot. Which, which one? Which one is going to pilot that aircraft? Maybe if, both if of us. Both there. <laughs> is, is a fight going to break out? I don't think we'd have a fight about it. I think we'd All both right, crack on down there. I think, we, I think we'd, go, we'd both go and do it. You yeah. know and. Um, Basically save 300 people. Yeah, well, <laughs> I feel like we already have got us. And go on well a ticker, done, ticker tape parade. <laughs> <laughs> like and the England homecoming. Yeah, exactly. And then land it in the, and then land it in the, uh, land it in the Hudson, out of principle. Yeah, yeah. exactly, because we could. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, no, it's absolutely fine. We just wanted to land it here. Yeah, yeah. you know, uh, so these are the sorts of daydreams we have. But um, I, I think it was a really impressive display. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the whole thing was... Uh, hey, do you know what, though? Absolutely incredible. One of the things I think we should mention is we got to the show at about 10 o'clock this morning, boys, didn't we? And then the first, the f- we literally walked into one of the display areas mm-hmm. and we started looking at a little jet A1 fuel-powered piston engine. Oh, yeah, we did, didn't we? Um, and the fella there on the stand went, JB! And I thought, oh, he's, he's in for rugby. Um, no, no, listen, no. This is, he was this actually podcast. He was actually a fan of the podcast. And, um, and what he did... Of course, was then referred to me as Gold Crusher. So, <laughs> yeah. so you know, David from Wookie, David yeah. Wookie, he, that was amazing. It just shows what a small world it was. Kind and thank you so. for saying hello and making JB's day as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But he's well, at an air show with two pilots, but actually he was the one that got recognised. Oh, <laughs> and he probably listens to the Love Island pod. To be fair, I would imagine he does. Truth, truth be told, he does. But no, it's uh, so now, uh, uh, you know, because um, Frantic, who is, uh, I'm sure you've probably listened to Frantic's part of the interview already, said, oh, what's your handle? 
And, uh, you know, sadly now it looks like Skull Crusher is what it is. doesn't trip off the tongue, though, does it? I think Dunks is a little bit better. What was it on the... Oh, it was DNX on the Harrier, DNX, wasn't it? yeah, yeah. Dunks, yeah. yeah, yeah it was yeah. always a three-letter call sign mm. that you had. I think because that... Was it because they only had three spaces on the programming board? I think so. Is that right? Mm. <laughs> well, it was called a trigraph, wasn't it? Trigraph, all that kind of gives it away. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So... A pretty successful day all around. Um, I'd just like both your thoughts, really, on the... Um, I can't remember the name. I think that was Tempest. Because I, I think that, that was the one... We, oh, actually, no, let's not, go, let, let's not talk about the Tempest. Let me talk about something related to the Tempest. Is it the first Sea Lord? It is the first Sea Lord. <laughs> we missed out big time there. Well, hang on a second. I think, JB, you just need to stand fast for a second, because... Goddard's had to. Uh, J- JB was going to uh, accost the first Sea Lord. And Doorstep the first Sea Lord. Yeah, he was. And Goddard's had to uh, stride in manfully and um, rugby tackle him out the way. Yeah, rug- rugby tackle him to the ground. Yeah, there's a very concerned Goddard saying, "Do not talk to the first Sea Lord. Do not talk to the first Sea Lord." <laughs> not at this point. Not not in front of BAE systems. It Do w- not. It it was, it's strange because um, you know they were they were all very very well. I, 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 I guess. I guess it just showed, didn't it, how much they've worked and how hard that you know how much effort they've put into this whole thing, which is here course, it is yeah. in Farnborough, course, yeah. and now the first Sea Lords here. Yeah, get this podcast po- podcaster. Yeah, out, yeah, uh, and of course we were guests. We were guests there. Yeah. They're guests, so you know. I think uh, I think it was only right and proper. But it was good to see him, wasn't it? Yeah. So I was in a semicircle with him, and they were kind of going through. It. I was just, just dressed like a normal person. I could comfortably have worked for BAA Systems. And they were introducing each person from left from left <laughs> to right. I was like, if I just stay here for a little longer, they're gonna, you know, he's gonna turn to me, shake my hand, and I'm gonna say, "Sir, I'm a podcaster," <laughs> and he's gonna just assume that podcasting is something, you know, something to do with, you know. Uh, you know, a weapon system. He did, he did look surprised actually as God has arrived stage left and rugby tackled you to the ground <laughs> to, uh, to stop what, you. What were those old NFL adverts where Terry. <laughs> Terrible Terry Tate. Terry Tate. <laughs> Terry Tate, yeah. <laughs> Terry Tate appeared sideways. Tell <laughs> you know what, boys, we missed up big time there. We could have got the first season. I, I could have got that first, first season. Yeah. It's going to be two minutes. Yeah. Um, so, for actually, if anyone is left listening to this, the recording device that we have. Um, takes JB about 27 minutes to set up and get going. There is no way that he could have answered that question in time. Oh, I was, I was ready to go. I was ready to go. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think just before we get on to that, you know, because perhaps we're looking ahead just, you know, perhaps just a little too much. But the other yeah, thing... Into the realms of fantasy. The other thing that we looked at today was the Airlander. Oh, thank so you. So the Airlander... Much was also one of the things that JB was very excited about, and we, we spent a bit of time no. talking to the apprentice... Um, Joseph. Joseph, the apprentice uh, engineer. Chef. Very knowledgeable. Who had effectively, it sounds like, built this thing up from pieces, and uh, and they're waiting for the first flight of it in, now, uh, in a couple of I years. I built this up, this Airlander thing, quite a lot. Did it, did it justify my building? Were you guys suitably impressed, or...? You know, lack of aerobatics doesn't excite you. Oh, I will be honest. You know that. Uh, have you? Have you've always been on a hot air balloon flight. No, no. I have been on a oh, hot air balloon flight, and it was lovely. I can't imagine that you enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong. Well, I did enjoy it, but it's not something that I'll rush back to. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It was great, but it's 
it's not an exciting time. And so the thought was like, I mean, gen because of the job that I'm in, and, and we do, I kind of think, well, would I want to fly one of those? And the answer is emphatically no. <laughs> not because it's not impressive. I mean, it, it's impressive in you know, what it does. And actually, when you look at that low carbon or zero carbon footprint, zero emissions. I think, you know, it's going to be the future. I think it is. But it doesn't fire me up in terms of... I enjoyed of the tech behind it. I enjoyed the fact it took them a year to fold the thing up. Yeah. <laughs> once they deflated one. Um, but I think all of that sort of Imagine. stuff will get better. And, you know, the thing that impressed me the most was... Joseph Ferry, the guy we were speaking to yeah. himself, who started as an apprentice three years ago, is coming to the end of his apprenticeship and was self-taught on almost everything Airlander. Yeah, because there's literally no other one like Because there are there. no other ones like it around. And he was the epitome of someone who has got a goal to go and yeah, he was you know, passionate about it. He was yeah. really passionate yeah. about it. Yeah. And I, I thought this really, it's nicely sums up the British aerospace industry, which is you know, can-do attitude. Uh, you know, and if, excuse the pun, Airlander air take, takes off, and I suspect that it will, it's going to be a huge, a huge commercial success because a bunch of crazy individuals decided to buy this blimp back from from the US Army. It's just, it's an incredible story. It's an incredible story, and I'm certain it will be a massive success it was uh, you know and I, I was really impressed Chang with Joseph I was impressed with the fact that he didn't shy away from the incidents they've had from deflations to um, mm. the nose down crash that Airlander had had a, a, when was that two or three four years ago yeah yeah. and they've got a bunch of investors and genuinely good luck to them that, I, that I could be a really different way of looking at aviation uh, do you know the, the thing that appealed to me, maybe I've had one or two too many ales, but it was actually, because one of the things that it could do was luxury air travel. Mm. And we've looked at a few luxury air travel things, we'll come to that in a second, Ooh. but luxury air travel, in terms of that, that's almost back into the romantic age of flying, when you look at flying boats and luxury travel in those when, when people, and you look at the airlander, and you look at what it can do in terms of taking people in perfect silence from A to B in, in just amazing comfort. And you would hope at, at, at a not too high a price that it, wouldn't it be great if that brought back that sort of romantic age of flying in terms of the... Dress up uh, for dinner. Yeah. yeah. And go and float around the, uh, the countryside. Yeah. Lovely. Lovely. You know, I think I'd do that. I, I would do it. In a I'd dress up for dinner. Or I wouldn't do that. I'll dress up for dinner every night. Oh, yeah. Well, so, that's not our only bit of, lux of luxury travel because no, I completely really forgot about this. We went to um, Gulfstream. Gulfstream. Yeah. And what they build is simply staggering. Uh, you know, maybe it's not the most high. Oh, actually, that's not even fair. It probably is the, the most high tech. Oh, it's amazing. But so, uh, it's the interiors. A friend of ours, Brian Jones, very kindly, at the very end of the day, took the time to show us round the 650, wasn't it? 650 and then um, uh, 600? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The 650 and is slightly, slightly, slightly bigger. Yeah. But 600 has the new cockpit in it. Yeah. So uh, just an... Which JB broke. <laughs> 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 it's it's how, worth... How, JB, how tall are you? Uh, six, 
two, six degrees like that. Yeah. It's, so it is uh, worth mentioning, though, that we I hit my do, head twice. what we what we found on was an important button that, uh, that uh, as JB clattered into the cockpit. It, it was like a he, runaway elephant. He literally, he stood on all sorts of things that he should definitely stick to pensions yes, and financial 100%. advice and stay away from the uh, from the cockpit. Yeah, well, it's interesting, wasn't it? Because we were looking around, the, around these um, these private jets. I mean, the cost of them is staggering. Weirdly, I never thought I'd say you, you can get value for money out of seven, uh, out of seventy million, but it seems to be you actually can. But one thing which amazed me. As you don't, because you were happy as pie sitting in, in every part of that aircraft. Although I have a feeling that you'd rather be flying a chipmunk than flying one of those things. Well, there is, there is, there is a bit of this, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, I think you're probably right. I mean, it's a lovely aeroplane, there's no doubt about it. And in, in terms of if you had $70 million to spend on one, it would be a lovely way of getting around the world. Um, the, the cockpit's incredibly high-tech. I mean, it's fantastic. It's sort of F-35 technology, and it was great to sit in there and see that. But, again, for me... Crikey, I just thought about that. £70 million isn't far off the cost of an F-35 anyway. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, you know, the, um, the fact is, for me... It, it, it's not going to get you to Japan in a one of those. <laughs> <laughs> it's not pure flying as well, those machines, you know. Whereas a chipmunk is, I think you're... Right, I would you're, probably you're, prefer a chippy yeah, than I would. You're an uh, aviation purist. Yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm definitely, I, I definitely um, err towards the the vintage side of things and the um, cables and stick and. So rubber, I thought, and I, I thought it was I do the fly by wire, and it had cup holders. It did have cup holders, deep, yeah, deep cup holders yeah, for big yeah. copies. Yeah. Can you remember what my favourite bit about that whole aeroplane is? I'm going to dream about these things mm. for the next couple of days. Was it the air, was it the hostesses? No, not the hostess. Oh, um, <laughs> I don't know. What was it? The windows. Oh, the windows yeah. were yeah. big. Utterly amazing. Yeah. Enormous. Mm. And I d- it's one of those subtle things that maybe it took Brian pointing it out to me. But I suddenly realised they are huge. Uh, um, I mean, I guess... They're like, really? a, they're like a patio window. What are they? Uh, I guess uh, I half s- a metre, a foot and a half I think across. Uh, yeah. Uh, you would and, and ellipse-shaped. And there was so much light inside of that cabin mm. without any fluorescent inter- lighting or any of that sort of stuff. And it just... That would be... Did Brian like, offer you a commission? I, 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 if... If we can raise the money somehow this evening, <laughs> yeah, I'd be happy to buy one. Because no, here's the thing, JB, is because you now besides the leather sofas and seats and how amazing it was down the back of those things, it would be completely different flying in that to any other experience you've had, especially with a ceiling of fifty-one thousand feet, a normal cruising altitude of forty-nine thousand feet. You're seeing the curvature yeah. of the air. You're seeing how dark it is above you. You're they seeing things that people do not normally see outside of an aeroplane. I'm lucky enough in a time. I remember thinking it can get to nearly 50,000 feet. Yes. I mean, 51,000 yeah. 51, 51, feet. That's not far of military capability, is it? Well, so having been to 55,000 feet in a typhoon, and by the way, 55,000 feet only because of the medical concerns of going above that and not wearing pressure suits. I thought it was the medical concerns for you. And me. The yeah. medical concerns for me... Um, because I'm very scared oh, most of the time, Sorry. generally. Uh, the air, it's a typhoon, is that not pressurised? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you have a mass decompression, 
up there. Uh, mass. If you have a explosive decompression yeah. up there, massive decompression, massive one, massive explosive Huge. decompression. The forces on the body are, are fairly extreme, and we do practice that in in various pressure chambers. Yeah, but as soon as you get above fifty five thousand feet, things. That's why U two pilots fly in spacesuits. There are a bunch of different physiological um, issues that you have to deal with. And so whilst the jet can get above 55,000 feet, ultimately will will limit it to that sort of uh, altitude. Right. So how, how high up do you reckon a, a Typhoon could go? Oh, blimey. Um, yeah, <laughs> you, you get one in a good climb going upwards, it's into the 60s, guarantee it. Wow. I mean, well, the fact that you can buy a private jet that goes to 50,000 feet is still mine. And that's what I'm saying. So I genuinely think the experience of sat down the back of that with those enormous windows all the way down the fuselage, looking out, mm. seeing the curvature of the Earth, and being in, flying at point nine, and getting to the Far East in a matter of hours, you can, see, else, you can see why... If you've got a company that allows you to spend 70 million quid on a mode of transport, sorry, 70 million you know what, dollars. Do you know what upsets dollars. me a lot, really upsets me a lot, is the thought of somebody buying them and then taking it for granted. I mean, that, that, really, that, that really upsets me. Buying one you, and just not appreciating. Well, so what, you, you what know today that for all of us, but, that's the first and only time, unless we end up flying for Gulfstream, that we're going to go and see one of those airplanes. You're aware that you, you can hire for private jets pretty cheaply. Almost the same as a commercial flight. Yeah. Yes. I do. I am aware of this. There are certain... So, you, have you ever tried, tried, tried to do it? I haven't tried to do it, but I know that a lot of these things, you'll end up with... They're empty on a particular... That's right, yeah. So you might be able to get back from the south of France to Luton or somewhere like that. So if you have... On a private... Flight. And if you, so, if you've got a party of six, mm. you can share the cost, and it's not that bad. The trouble is, you need to, to have got to the south of France somehow in the first yeah, place. Yeah, exactly right. Party so bus. If you are, you could do that. If you're, if you're basically free with, no, with nothing to do, and you want to go away, instead of getting like a late deal, you can go on a website. I believe it's called Empty Legs or EmptyLegs.com, something like that. And it's exactly the principle that which you outlined, which is. These these private jets have to go have to go somewhere so they can drop off the the wealthy individual and then they're going to go back empty. So if you're lucky, you might get somewhere like you know. Imagine if it goes to Cannes, that's cool. We can go to Cannes and we can get back commercially. So you can get on one of these private jets for almost the same price as you can get to Cannes so on a commercial jet. So JB, aren't you going to the World Player of the Year awards in your other <laughs> rugby life? So uh, are you are you going to plan on a uh, return flight from Nice or, or Monaco? Um, That's a good question. I on a private jet? Uh, well, I'll be going to the Monte Carlo Casino Casino Resort, so it makes sense. I would go on a private jet, <laughs> I guess. I, mean, I don't know how, how else would you get there. Is there any other way to get there? I, I think you have to go private jet. Yeah, party bus. Party bus. So, um, I guess in wrapping it up, oh. because we have no idea how this how we're going to. We've got to get the tube back. Oh yeah, and, and and we have to go back home. Yeah, um, and we have no idea how this podcast is going to be put together, if indeed it is put together uh, with uh, the various content we've got today. Mm-hmm. But JB, overall a good day. Enjoyed it. One of the most interesting days I have had in years. I mean, I thought it was ab- absolute, ab- absolutely superb. Company was poor. Guests were great. Um, <laughs> and, and the aircraft were brilliant. And it's interesting you say that. The chats. So guys that I've known for a while. Mm. that we 
essentially interview to put the microphone in front of them. I heard tons of stories that I'd never heard before, which I think is the, the benefit of doing this sort of thing, in mm. that when you just sit there and chat... The power of the pod. The power of the pod, that's it. The power of the pod, in terms of getting people to open up, and Rog's talking about his... Uh, it's brilliant. Exchange, cats and traps. Cats and traps. Do you um, know, the only thing, the only question that I regret was the question about food on the Nimrod. Because I didn't realise about the oven, I didn't realise... I have no idea that it had a, a reputation for eating. So it actually made it sound like it was a set-up question, and it actually wasn't. I was just interested. Because well, so I, don't regret the question, then, because yeah. it was a genuine question. There you go. Dunk, enjoy it. Oh, it was a great day, wasn't it? It was a great day. And what about you? Uh, I had a lovely time. Yeah. I, uh, well, give me one thing you've learned. One thing I've learned? One thing you've learned. I've learned how much a, uh, a Goldstream 650 is. It's eye-wateringly expensive. I learned... I'd have, to, I'd, have to, I'd have to, what, work three years in Goddess's job to get that. Yeah. Three years. Yeah. yeah. I know. Oh, well, a year and a half, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, a tax lawyer. Yeah. I learned that British aviation, in terms of companies like Airlander, is in good hands. Yeah. You know, people who are willing to take a risk to go and do something completely different in aviation. That's what we need. That's how the whole thing started in the first place. Absolutely right, actually. I wasn't going to say that, but yeah, you are absolutely right. Um, I also learned that the centrifuge is still there in the middle of a housing estate in Farnborough, but maybe that's one for another podcast. (laughs) And I also think just maybe, if this is the last thing that we should say really, is A, we miss Parkey. Not being here, it's a shame that he couldn't be here, but he was with his, uh, his son James um, at his Sandhurst graduation. So congratulations to James. Well done, mate. Uh, and Brilliant. also, very sadly, we heard that uh, we lost Geoffrey Wellham um, just a couple of days ago. So we have all raised a glass to Geoffrey, um, just one of the most heroic fighter pilots and the most amazing gentleman that we've ever met. I know, and uh, really cool that we can finish this in the Royal Air Force Club, Yeah, that we know Jeffrey has visited lots and lots and lots and lots of times, and we know that we're fond of a beer, and uh, you know we can, again, raise a glass as uh, we finish this day off. Well done, boys. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.